All right. Well, I posted a video this week, and I have to do it live. If you, uh, if you saw it, there was some things that went viral, a thing went, that went viral this week uh, with a word, with an audio. I don't know if you heard this. Uh, so I want, you to, I want you to listen to this, and there's going to be really two options, okay? Uh, I'll give you those options after you hear it. So listen to it, and then I'll ask what you, you hear. So go ahead and play it. Laurel. 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 Okay, so Laurel. that's good. Uh, there's really two options, the right one and the wrong one. Um, the first one is Yanny. How many of you hear something along those lines of Yanny? Okay, let me see real quick. Let me take a good picture of this. Okay, who hears Laurel? Who has heard both? Okay, and who hears something different other than both of those? A few people. Okay. Now, let me just fill you in on something real quick. Uh, the correct answer is Laurel, all right? Now, just let me explain. There was a young girl, she's in high school, and she had a project at school. And the project was uh, these vocabulary words, and so she looked up Laurel on vocabulary.com. And when she listens to the recording of Laurel, she hears Yanny. So she goes back to school, and she's like, look, I, I don't know if this is just me, if something's wrong. So she plays it for her class, and from there, a student records it and then posts it, and it goes uh, viral, right? And so we know, and there was an opera singer, actually, who recorded this. Uh, it's an opera singer who knows how to phonetically say words, and so he says Laurel, but for some reason, uh, with pitch and different things, people hear two different words, but the truth is, and in all seriousness, the truth is the word is Laurel. But if you hear Yanny, you would never begin to say that you hear Laurel. Like you just, you can't, I can't understand how you hear Yanny if you hear Yanny, right? I just can't in my mind, right? And so what has happened is the truth of the word Laurel gets distorted. Somehow you begin to hear something different. Uh, we're in this series in Galatians, uh, Jesus plus nothing. And what has happened is there is this guy named Paul who has come to follow Jesus. And he's talking about grace. He's talking about the only way we come back to God is through Jesus and Jesus on the cross. That is the only way. It is grace and grace alone. But at some point, there was this group of Jewish people who distort the truth. Paul actually says it's a perversion of the truth. They have heard something different. And they've heard it and they have believed it. And they begin to go behind Paul to these Gentiles, these non-Jews. And they say, we know what you hear Paul saying. And Paul is saying, look, it's just by grace that you are forgiven and you're in right standing. That you are justified that you're in right standing with God. We know you hear that it's Jesus and Jesus alone, but really you need to add to that. And they begin to add these other expectations and these rules and these things that the people needed to do. And so Paul is writing to these Galatians saying, don't believe that. You have to believe what the truth is, what the original meaning of Jesus coming and dying for us is, and you can't believe the distortion of the truth. Now, we've been looking at this for several weeks. We're kind of taking this crawl through Galatians. 
And the reason we're doing this is because this is extremely significant to us if we believe in Jesus. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, what we have been talking about and what we'll continue to talk about is fundamental to what we believe. Like, you might even be wondering, Kyle, I feel like you're saying the same thing every week. I am. I might be saying it in a different way. We're using today, we'll look at a a couple different analogies that Paul gives. But this is fundamental to what we believe. This separates us from other religions. This is what separates us as followers of Jesus. That we do not perform ourselves back to God. That we don't become good enough that all of a sudden God sees us and accepts us. It's that he deeply loves us. And we put our faith in that. And so some of you have believed that, but then you begin to live a little differently than what you say you believe. You believe in grace, but then there's times where you wonder, man, is God punishing me because I haven't, and then you fill in the blank. Is God not blessing me because I've missed Sunday a couple weeks? Is God not blessing me because I haven't volunteered? I've just been really busy. Is God not blessed? And so you begin to wonder if your performance is determining your blessing. And then when bad things happen, when you get the bad news or there's sickness or the the prayers aren't answered, you begin to wonder, is God punishing you because you haven't done what you're supposed to do? And so we believe in grace on one hand, but then on the other hand, we look at our performance and we think, well, maybe this is what God's looking at in my life. And so we may say one thing that we believe, but then do our lives really reflect that? And then really important, does it reflect how we treat others? Like if we believe grace is enough for us, do we really believe that grace is enough for other people? No matter what their past have looked like, no matter the struggles they've had, when they begin to believe and they accept this grace, is there enough grace for them that you're able to extend? Or do we say, yeah, that's great, but you now need to begin to do these things. And so it's important for us, specifically if you're here and you would say you're a follower of Jesus, that we build lots of bridges for people to come to God, right? And that we eliminate any barrier that would keep people from Jesus. And this is what we see Paul doing. Paul is going back in and saying, look, this is what is important. This is what you have to remember, that grace is enough, that Jesus is enough, that we can't add anything to Jesus. And the moment we do, the moment that we add to Jesus, we have changed the gospel. We begin to hear something that's not true. We begin to tell people things that aren't true. And so Paul goes back and he is writing to them and he's encouraging them, this is what you need to believe. It was really interesting. I, I mentor a couple of little boys over at Coldwater. And these little boys have some issues, and, and they're often in trouble. And, and one little boy, he is a fourth grader. He is often in trouble. Uh, and he told me in the last couple of weeks that he's been being bullied. And so when he comes in, and we're, we're meeting this week, and I meet with him at lunch, and he, he comes in, and we're beginning to have this conversation about what's going on. And then I just simply said, look, Chase, you cannot control other people. And that's hard but who can you control? And he says, I can control me. It's like, right, you get to make a choice. You get to make a choice of how you live and how you treat people and how you respond. You get to choose. No one can force you. And then out of the blue, this little boy goes, accept God. It's like, all right, we're going to have this conversation. I don't ever bring it up, but uh, if you want to bring this up, we'll, we'll sit here at cold water in a lobby and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. And so I begin to ask him, what do you what do you think about that? And he goes, well, if I'm crossing the street and God wants me to stop, he can make my shoe 
come untied, so I stop. So he can make me do things. And I was like, well, that's not really great theology, but I'm going to let that one kind of go there for a minute. And so we just kind of keep, we keep talking. And then he says this, and he chooses when we die. And he chooses who goes to heaven. And then he said this, I'm not going. Like, okay, let's, let's keep talking about this. I said, why, buddy? Why, why do you think you're not going? He goes, well, I disobey my parents, and I get in trouble at school. And he just begins to list all these things that are going to keep him out of heaven. And I just said, buddy, you think you can be good enough that God will let you in? He goes, yeah. And this is a kid who I know goes to church every once in a while with his granny. And so somewhere he has heard something that just isn't true. And so in this moment, I pretty much preached what I've been preaching to you over the last couple of weeks. And I started drawing things on the board and I kept telling him, like, tell me the bad things. Tell me the good things. Your good will never outweigh your bad. And so I looked at him and I, I grabbed him by the shoulders and I said, Chase, if you believe that Jesus is enough and you begin to believe in forgiveness and grace, that's enough. It's enough. And so he's, he's a little kid, but, but for us, for many of us as adults, do we really believe that? And if we do what we looked at last week, uh, Paul, I'll just, I'm not going to do as much as I did last week, but, but Paul just begins to say, look, my life, I've been crucified with Christ. And so these just represented things in our, in our lives. And so we just kind of stacked these and we said, look, it's my business, it's my money, it's my relationships. And I said, look, the, all of that comes under the weight of God. Right? It comes under the presence of God. Everything is determined by what we believe. And we say, look, my life is not my own. I'm giving it all completely to God. But what happens is we then maybe hold on to some things. And we say, look, I'll let, I'll let all of this come underneath God. But I just don't know if God knows more about my dating relationship than I do. And so I'm going to do what I want to do here. And what, what Paul would say is then we haven't really surrendered our lives completely to him. We still want to do what we want to do. And, and Paul says, look, when you begin to understand grace and you begin to understand who Jesus is, well, then the option is we want to give everything to him. And so what begins to happen in your life is more things begin to come up. The closer you get to Jesus, the more he's going to point out in our lives. Right? And so it doesn't just happen one time where we say, okay, God, I'm going to give my life completely to you. Uh, it happens over and over where we begin to understand and we say, look, I thought I gave everything, but I realize I'm holding on to something. And so we just take that and we say, all right, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender that to you as well. I'm going to give my whole life to you. And so Paul ends the second chapter in Galatians with that. And then he begins into chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 3, the first 14 verses. He's going to kind of say what he's been saying. And so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there. Uh, but I want to eventually spend more time in verse 15. But I do want to point out just a couple of things in the beginning of chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible somewhere around you. I would encourage you to take that. That's our gift to you. Uh, please have that. <clears throat> so we're going to look. I'm just going to pull out a couple things. I'm not going to read all the first part. But just right in the very beginning, Paul doesn't really mix words. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? He's not calling them necessarily fools. He's just saying, look, why are you not understanding? And then he uses this word, bewitched you, that literally means, who has cast a spell on you? Uh, who has gained control over you? You at one point believed this, and then what happened? 
And so Paul knows what's happened, and so he begins to continue to call that out. But then he says this in verse 2. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? He's saying at one point you received grace. Didn't you know that wasn't because you were good? Didn't you understand that you didn't earn that from God? Did you at some point you believe that and and earn that and then now all of a sudden you think your works are what are going to sustain you? He says, look, that's foolish. Are, Are you trying to attain your goals just by your own efforts? And then verse 6, he goes on and he says, consider Abraham. Now, this is really significant. He's talking to people who would have known who Abraham was, right? And he says this, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, the significance here is that Abraham, in Genesis 15 in the Old Testament, Abraham has these conversations and he's being led by God and he knows that God is going to give him something. He's asking God, what are you going to give me? And and God says he's going to bless him with kids. Now, Abraham doesn't have kids. It's actually a while until he has kids. He doesn't know what it's going to look like and how he's going to have kids. But God takes Abraham outside and he begins to point at the stars. He's like, can you count the stars? And so if you get this picture, Abraham's like, No, there's no way. I can't count the stars. And God says, look, the number of kids I'm going to bless you with are going to outnumber the stars. I mean, that is a huge promise. There's this promise that comes along with that, even above and beyond just having kids, this promise that God makes that he's going to bless him for generations. And then at some point through Abraham, someone is going to come. And it's this promise that's made to Abraham. And Abraham Abraham has no idea how it's going to take place. But the scriptures say, by faith, by faith, he just believed God. Now, this is really significant, I think, for you and for me. It does not say that Abraham believed in God. It wasn't that Abraham at some point said, I think there's a God. I believe in a God somewhere. It says that he believed God. He believed that God was going to come through. He believed that he could count on the promises of God. And it says that he was credited as righteousness. That God gave him righteousness. Put him in right standing with him. See, Abraham was simply a man of faith who believed in the promises of God. Do we trust God? Like, like, do we really trust God? If, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've read the scriptures, if you've read the Bible and you know some of the promises that he makes to us, do you believe those? Do you believe that he'll never leave you or forsake you? Do, do you really believe that he is going to be near to you in the midst of everything? I know it wasn't that long ago that I was struggling with this maybe more than anything I've ever struggled with when it comes to my faith. My wife, we had had a miscarriage after my daughter. And then not long after that, we got pregnant with our, our son, who is now almost eight, Cade. And in the midst of that pregnancy, there were several trials that kind of were difficult for, for my wife in, in pregnancy. There were some times we were going in often, things weren't right, and they didn't know what it was, and so they were always looking at that. And I was living in fear. And, and there were these moments where I was like, all right, God, I, 
maybe this won't happen. Maybe the baby's going to come out healthy, and maybe, maybe it's not. But, but are, you, are you here? I mean, can I really trust you in this? Or are you going to kind of step away for a moment? And it was one of the most significant moments in my faith and in my relationship with God where I really struggled I really had a hard time wondering, and there's lots of reasons for that in my past, and just being feeling like I've been let down, and so I begin to project those on God. God, are you, are you going to be there? And I was at this conference with some other pastors, and I had a pastor come up to me, and he, he just said, look, this is going to sound really odd. This is going to sound really, really weird. Uh, but I often get these words or visuals for people. And he said, I just, I get this sense that I'm supposed to just tell you something. And he said, what's really weird is I just normally get like a word and I'll tell people this word and then they kind of discern it for themselves. And he said, but what was really weird when I was sitting with you is I had a word, but I also saw them. So I, I visually could see these, these words. And he didn't know me. He didn't know what was going on in my life. And this is when my, my wife is about halfway through her, her pregnancy. And he just said, I have these three words, and they are unanswered prayer, they are pregnancy, and loss. And man, it was in this moment that I couldn't hear from God, right? That I was having a hard time really believing and trusting in God, that he was going to be near to me. And I feel like God loved me so much, that God loved so much. He was like, look, I know you can't hear me, so I'm going to have someone else come share with you. And so a person comes that I don't know, and he shares this. And in this moment, once again, I said, okay, I'm going to trust. I'm going to put my faith in you. And it was faith that Abraham had. It's this faith that Paul has. It's this faith that these Gentiles had. It's this faith that I have that I can believe in the promises of God. That I can believe that Jesus is enough. And it's not just something that I have to do to get God to give me something. That I don't have to do something to get God to love me or to forgive me or to give me grace. And what's interesting here is God treats him as righteous. Abraham, he greets him, treats him as righteous, although he may have still been unrighteous in his heart and in his behavior. There's this weird, this weird thing that no matter where you're at in life right now, the mistakes, the struggles, the problems that you have, that even in the midst of those, when you begin to put your faith in God, he will credit you as righteous, even though you still in your heart and in your actions may not be. That there is still this grace and love that comes over you. That Abraham, even after this, if you want to go and read, even after he hears these promises, he still makes some really bad choices. But in the midst of all of that, Abraham has this faith that he can believe in God. And so we can be righteous, we can be justified, we can be forgiven because of our faith in Jesus, not ourselves. Jesus is the hero of the story, not us. Right? Jesus is who we need. It's just not us becoming better people. Paul teaches this to a group of Christians in Rome, it's in Romans 5, uh, verse 8. Uh, it won't be on the screen, but it says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while you were still sinners, Christ dies for you. While you were still sinners. 
it wasn't that Christ died with this hope of that you will no longer be a sinner, and then when you're not a sinner, then that death on the cross applies to you. No, no. It's that God knows us well. He knows our need. And it's in the midst of being sinners that Christ dies for us. All right, let's jump to verse 15. Verse 15. He's going to give us an example here, and he's going to tie us back into Abraham again. It says this. It says, brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Okay, so what he's saying is he's using legal jargon. Uh, So if we were to say it today, if I was to say it, what I would say is, I have created, if I create a will for my children, and I leave everything I have, even if it's not much, if I leave everything I have to my kids, when I die, a judge can't take my will and change it. He can't add to it, can't amend it, he can't, for my daughter, he can't say, okay, your dad has made a promise to you, but... I need you to perform. Uh, I know your dad just freely has given this to you. He has made this promise, but uh, you now need to make sure you graduate high school and go to college and live life a certain way. And then when you do that, then I will uphold the promises of your father. Paul says that that doesn't happen. People can't add to these human covenants. And there is nothing that can be added to this promise of God. Verse 16, it says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. I'll talk more about that in a moment. It says, what I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So we have Moses who brings the Ten Commandments. We talked a little bit about this. 430 years after the promise is made to Abraham. And the promise to Abraham is your faith is enough. And then he brings a law or rules or these codes to live by. And what doesn't happen here is God doesn't all of a sudden change his mind. God doesn't say, okay, I know I said faith was enough for Abraham, but I'm going to have to change that. And now in changing that, I'm going to add some things that you have to do. That the promise isn't changing. That there's nothing new that's being added to this. Verse 19. The question that Paul asks here is maybe a question you ask. And I know I do as well. Verse 21, or verse 19, it says, What then was the purpose of the law? Well, what's the point then? If it's all about faith and it's all about grace and it's all about what God does for us through Jesus, well, then why even have the law? What's the point of the rules that have been given to us? Why why in this is there a teaching about how we're supposed to do life? Why does that even matter? It says it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred and come. So this goes back to the the verse in verse 16 where he talks about seeds. And again, I'll talk about that in in a moment. It says the law was put into effect through through angels by a mediator. So someone gives Moses the the law. We're not going to spend too much time here. 
It says, a mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Verse 21, it says, is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. So there's, no, there's not this conflict now because we have a promise of faith and we have a law. They're not competing with one another. So then what is the purpose of the law? Uh, maybe, maybe it's to restrain evil. Maybe. Uh, maybe there's this idea that with the law, no matter what you believe about God, there will be this hesitation to do wrong in the extreme. But that doesn't make us right or righteous. It does not justify us. For instance, uh, how many of you speed? How many of you lie? All right, let's do that, yeah. So we speed, right? Now, I don't know if you have this feeling when you're speeding or when you're driving and you see a cop, right? The first thing you do is you look at your speed or you hit your brake. But man, what happens if you are speeding and doing wrong? There is this rush of adrenaline that comes through, right? And you see the cop and you drive past the cop. And then there's this next moment when you see lights come on, right? And you're like, oh man, I've been caught. And then there's this great feeling when the cop drives by you and pulls someone else over, right? Uh, bad for them, good for you, right? But most of us, when you speed, maybe you just speed a little bit, right? You're, you're not going to necessarily the extreme because you think, if I'm just five over, if I'm just ten over, am I really going to get in trouble? Am I really going to get caught? If you drive 50 over, that's, that's the extreme, right? So I wonder... I wonder if a little bit of the law is to limit, is to limit the actions of people. However, just because you follow the law or you're really close to following the law, it does not put us in right standing with God. What we talked about a few weeks ago, that the law really is a diagnostic. It diagnoses the problems that we have. Uh, I found out a few months ago I'm a runner, and the last couple years I've been having uh, some real issues with my, my knee. And so it's about four months ago, I go into my orthopedic doctor, he does an x-ray, right? So an x-ray can diagnose a problem, and he brings the x-ray into the room, and he's like, I have some bad news. Uh, he says, you're almost bone on bone in your, in your knee, and you need a knee replacement. And he looks at me, and he goes, I know you're only 37, um... And I will not do a knee replacement at this point. You're just too young. He said, hopefully I'll be able to get you to 50. But I left there not feeling any better. Right? I didn't leave there feeling better because he diagnosed the problem that was going on in my knee. I didn't walk out there healed and whole. The only way that I'll be healed and whole with my knee, other than God miraculously healing me, which you can pray for that, but is from a doctor. A doctor who is going to go in and take care of the problem. There has to be an action. The diagnosis alone will do nothing for me. It still hurts. It may limit what I do, but it just makes me know that I have a real problem going on. And so when we read the law, when we read the scriptures, if you're willing to open the Bible and you begin to read, what begins to happen is God begins to point out some things in our lives. We realize that we've rebelled against God. We realize that we do our own things, that we're often really self-righteous and we 
rely on ourselves and what we can do. And here's the really hard part, and here's where the law can help us. The hard part is that we often measure ourselves against other people. And what we do is we say, well, I'm not as bad as them. Like, I know I gossip a little bit, but I don't gossip like she does. I don't gossip like he does. Right? I I cut just a few corners in my business, but man, I know this one guy, he cuts corners all the time. Right? And so when we begin to compare ourselves to other people, we think, okay, maybe I'm not that bad. But man, when we begin to look at this, and when we hear Jesus in one of the only sermons he preaches, preaching to a group of people who knows the law, and when he says, look, I know you've heard it said, don't kill people, but I'm telling you not to be angry with someone, not to call them a fool. What he's saying is, yeah, you may not, may not murder anyone, but there's still something going on in your heart. He may say, uh, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which it actually never says that. That was distorted. But what Jesus says is, I tell you, to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you. Outwardly, I may not have been hating my enemy, but what Jesus does and what Jesus always does is he goes after our heart. And what he's saying is he's diagnosing that we have a problem, right? He's diagnosing that we have a need. And so the law just point out our need for Jesus. So then, what happens? If it's diagnosing that we have a need and that we have a, a problem, let's keep, let's keep going. He says in verse 21, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? And Paul says, absolutely not. For if a law has been given that can impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scriptures declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that when what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. And so what we hear being said by Paul is, the law is going to point out your need, and then Jesus is going to be the solution. The the law is going to point us to something. Either you're going to try really hard to be good, and you're going to try really hard to have a bunch of good works that outweigh your bad, or when you diagnose the problem in your heart, you begin to say, well, then I need Jesus. I need God's grace that can only come through Jesus. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. And then here's what happens. Here's what begins to happen in our lives when we see the law differently, when you begin to follow Jesus. It was a a diagnostic, but now it becomes a map. It becomes a guide. It becomes a way of how to do life. It It becomes a way of how we are to treat one another. It will never save you, but it will point to the way that we are supposed to live. We will treat God one way. We will love God with all of our heart, and we will love people as we love ourselves. David, who writes a lot of the Psalms, says this, and this is where I hope we can get. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. 
we begin to hear the law. You should have no other gods. And that doesn't condemn us. That doesn't make us feel like we have to do something to earn God's favor. What it does is we say, yeah, I don't want any other gods. I want nothing else to get in the way of who God is. I want to believe wholeheartedly that God is enough. That money and people and success will never take the place of God. It is a light to our path. The law becomes good and something we can't do without. It helps us to begin to live like Jesus where people begin to see our lives and they think, I don't know if I believe what you believe, but man, the way you live is pointing to something greater. It's the kind of life that actually leads us closer to God and to others. It's a map. It's a diagnostic tool and it is a map, but it will never save us. And so I don't know if you're here this morning. I don't know if you're giving church another try. I don't know if you've grown up in an idea that you could earn God's love. And I don't know how many of you are just tired. I don't know how many of you are tired of just trying to make this happen. But Jesus, these will be our closing words, and I'll have Greg come up. Jesus in Matthew 11, he says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke that he's talking about is his teachings. The yoke that he's talking about is not something that will be burdensome to us. He's saying, look, you can take them on. I will give you rest some of you are tired. The, the message version, a guy named Eugene Peterson, uh, rewrote the scriptures in kind of an everyday language. And he starts this out by saying, come to me all who are weary, but he says, who are burned out on religion. That you're just tired of trying to perform yourself back to God. That maybe today would be the day, and some of you have been around church for a long time, but maybe today would be a day where you say, look, I want to believe that the law is pointing out the need that I have but I understand that Jesus is all that I need. And then you begin to see that Jesus is all that you need and then he's all that you want. And that he's all that you want and he'll lead you in the life to live. That it'll be a map and a guide to your life. And that no matter where you come from today, no matter your struggles, it doesn't matter uh, what, what things you bring into this place today, there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. That your good will never outweigh your bad. That, that grace, that, that this, if we were to, to map it out and your, your bad that you would say is so big, there's never so much that would outweigh the grace of God. The grace of God is available to you today. And so as we close today, if that's just something maybe you've never experienced, maybe you've never believed that for yourself, that your belief in God isn't always enough, but that you would believe God's promise that he will save you and rescue you and put you back in right standing because of what he has done and not what you have done. Would you stand as I pray and we'll sing this song here at the end. God, I'm so thankful that your grace is enough. I'm thankful that I don't have to rely on myself, that I don't have to keep account of all the good and the bad that I've done, that I know your grace covers it all. And Lord, as I've had moments where my faith has been weak, where I've struggled believing in your promises and that you'd be near to me. 
I'm so thankful that you spoke to me. And I pray this morning as some of my friends may be feeling like you are far from them, that you have walked away, that you have abandoned them, that your, your promises aren't for them. I pray that today they would hear from you, that they would hear they are deeply loved. God, we give our lives to you. We want to see the law as something that will point out the wickedness in our heart, the the rebellion that we have, but more importantly, it will point us to you and that you are the solution. Would you help us to live that out in our daily lives and would you help us to treat other people that way, that Christ